You're listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. This is the crescendo of this part of Romans. This is the crescendo of his message on man's depravity. Every message that I've preached on the depravity of the hypocrite, of the heathen, of the Hebrew, I've always added on the end a message of hope, the gospel message, because I don't have the privilege and the luxury that Paul has of writing this just one one piece. Uh, Paul doesn't get to the hope Paul doesn't get to how. What he does is he's blocking us in on every side. He's showing man is without hope. My friend, please hear me today. If you're here visiting or you're here as a member or whatever, please hear me. Of yourself, just you, you are without hope to save yourself. Without hope. There's no goodness in you at all, at all. Paul has been doing this systematically. Here's the heathens. Not hard. Everybody said, yeah, I'll get them, Paul. Get them all. They're all them bad, bad people. They're going to hell. And then he says, wait a minute, you moralists, you that think you're better than anybody, you hypocrite. You judge them, but you're doing the same thing. Mama just don't know about it. <laughs> and the Hebrews are saying, that's right, you Gentiles are dogs, which is what they called the Gentiles. And he says, what? What, you think you rest in the law? You think you too on your, on your circumcision and your law and you think you're going to, you are the same, you're in the same way. And then his, his, he has an opponent. He has an opponent. Have y'all noticed this? The he does this through the whole book. He, he brings up this unseen opponent. We really talked about that last time. And this unseen opponent, one more time, asks a question in verse 9, Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. What then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greek, they are all under sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before your eyes. Now it says their eyes, but might as well say yours. First of all, Paul starts out with this unknown um, inquisitor and he gives a hypocritical reasoning. He has in his mind, this unknown questioner has a hypocritical reasoning. First of all, first of all, A, he rationalized righteousness. He rationalizes righteousness. Are we better than they? 
He says, well, good. You, you're talking about them. We don't do that, so we must be better than them. I want to tell you, this is what every man does. According to Proverbs several times, but just I'm going to read one of them. Chapter 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Everybody thinks they're good. Everybody thinks they're good. Have you ever had somebody, you start calling them names and they bow their head and they say, well, you're right, you're right, you're right. You ever hear me? Nobody does that. How dare you? I'll tell you what. My mama was a Baptist. My daddy was a Baptist thinking I'd tell you what. That's the way you react. How dare you? Who do you think you are? That's the way we react, don't we? Because every man wants to think that they're good or at least better than the next person, which brings me to my next point. Well, actually, I hadn't even finished this point. Let me get back up. Even Christians fall into this trap of, of rationalizing their sin, thinking they're better than they really are. Romans 12, 3, Paul warns us, For I say to you through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. I'm a good person. I go to church. I'm a Baptist. I live in America. I was raised a Christian. I've been baptized. And on and on and on the rationalization that people give to try to prove that they are good. The Bible says over and over and over and over and over. It's not even it's not even hard to understand. I don't have to give you Greek and Hebrew and parse words and exegete the scripture. You are without there is none righteous. No, not one. And then the second thing under rationalized righteousness, we have comparative thinking. What is this? Well, all right. I may not be good, but I'll tell you what. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't kiss the girls do, and I, I don't, uh, listen, I, I may not go to church, I may not, I may not go to church like I do, I may uh, uh, not uh, read my Bible, I may not do that, but I don't smoke marijuana. <laughs> I'm not like so-and-so down the road. Well, let me tell you something about so-and-so down the road. He's not the standard. And we must that we must live up to. They are not the standard we must live up to, nor the standard we will be judged by. Would you please list that last statement again? So and so, whoever you might say, well, I'm I'm better than them. I'm better than them. Good. Probably not hard to do. Now, let me tell you something. Quit telling anybody. You can just say I'm better than Ron Owen, and you're probably right. How about that? I'll give you someone to really, you can say it of truth. I'm better than that Ron Owen. Ron Owen is not the standard that we must live by, and I am not the standard that you will be judged by. You've got to be as righteous as Jesus to get into heaven. If that don't make your jaw drop, something's wrong with you. You must be as righteous as the holy God to get into heaven. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory or standard of God. And then Paul gives a restated response to these things that this unknown inquisitor says. He says, we have previously charged both Jews and Greek. They are all under sin. And then Paul gives a huge inhale and then he just blasts us 
and gives, number one, the historical record. The historical record. Number one, I want you to know that you are sinful because you were born of Adam. We call it, number one, original sin. Genesis 2.16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Die. You shall surely die. And then over, it didn't take very long, Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And since that time, everybody's been trying to cover their own sin. We inherit our sin nature from Adam. My friend, you are not guilty of sin when you commit your first sin. The Bible says, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Naturally, you have no righteousness. Do you understand that? Please, and I've, I've harped on our people for 10 years and they say, hear this, but I'm going to keep harping on it. This Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey theology that all men are basically good is a lie of Satan, a tactic of Satan to try to keep you from seeing the, the, the danger you're in. Men are not basically good. Men are basically evil. And I'm not going to go into my whole spiel about that. that that's just the truth. We know we're all sinners because of original sin. And number two, we know we're sinners because of the oracles of God. We used that word last week. I brought it back in this message. The words of God. That's all that means. The words of God, verses 10 through 18, are quoted. And I'm not going to read them again uh, except in the Old Testament. They are quotations from the Old Testament. That's why in your Bible, if you have a good study Bible, those verses are italicized because it's a quotation of the Old Testament. These verses are not original with Paul. He says this is the truth. It's always been the truth. Do you know who said these things? I'll show you. I'll show you. We'll get to it. Let me give you Psalm. First of all, Psalm 140 verse 3. They sharpen their tongues like the serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. That's what Psalm 140 verse 3 says. Psalm 10, 7 says, this mouth is full, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. That's all Paul was saying here. He's repeating what he read God write in Psalms. Isaiah 59, 7, listen, their feet run to evil. He's talking about all men, by the way. I'll show you this in a minute. They, they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Psalm 36.1, an oracle, a prophecy, a word from God within the, my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Everybody turn to Psalm 14. Everybody turn to Psalm 14. Turn quickly. 
Psalm 14, and most of these verses are quoted directly from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, and we're going to read those. In Psalm 14, we begin reading in verse 1. Now listen to this. The fool has said in his heart, no God. Now that there is in your Bible, it's probably italicized. That means it was added for understanding. Some people have tried to say well, that means uh, that he's saying no to God, but it actually means it means all of it. I don't believe in God. I reject God. If there is a God, I'm not submitting to him. No, God. There is no God. No God for me, at least. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord, now listen, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And this is what God says. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Turn over to Psalm 53 very quickly. Psalm 53, verse 1, and we have it basically over again. It's just a repeat, almost word for word. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. We are totally depraved. Ruined. That's my wholesale ruin. The day that Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, the Bible says, God said this, the day you they will die. You know, they lived 600 and something years after that. Did God lie? They eventually died, but God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did God lie? No, he didn't die, lie because in that very day they ate of it, they did die. They died spiritually. And my friend, they didn't die any less spiritually than they did die physically. Dying spiritually means the same thing as dying physically. You can't eat anymore when you die physically. You can't drink anymore when you die physically. You can't sing anymore when you die physically, that physical body. You're dead. You're separated from making good decisions, bad decisions. You're separated from feelings. You're separated from desires. You are wholly ruined. There is a doctrine that some people want to say prevenient grace, that God gives us some prevenient grace that we might see him a little bit and follow after him. That's just not in the Bible. It's just not in the Bible. You're without hope, my friend. Does this not make you say, what will I do? Our will... Our desire and thus our actions are fallen and depraved. Verse 10, there's none righteous, none of one. Verse 12, they have together become, un they're, they're unprofitable, they're no good, they're useless. No, verse 12 again, there is none that does good, no, not one. I mean, he emphasizes that. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Oh, now, brother, I see I would never, oh, yes, you would. You, I don't have to go through this again with y'all unless you, maybe you're a visitor, maybe you haven't heard this, but I'm telling you something. We have murder in our eyes, in our hearts. You let somebody look at a person cross-eyed and what? You grit your teeth and you get red at night and you think about how you're going to get back at them and you, I tell you how dare they, and it just in us is the instinct. Get them before they get us. 
I mean, listen, it wasn't, the garden hadn't freshly been closed, closed when one of the sons of Adam saw uh, his brother and got mad because not anything he did against him, but because God preferred him, his sacrifice over him, and he got so mad. Even God saying, you be careful, sin is at the door. Even with God's warning, he took a rock and smashed his brother's head in. Destruction and misery are in their ways. There is none that can consider themselves in any way righteous. Isaiah 40, 64, 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all of, our unri- all, of our, excuse, all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquity like the wind have taken us away. Even the righteous acts that you do. Now listen, I'm going to answer that question I said a minute ago. Even the righteous acts that we do when we were lost, when we were without Christ, are bad and, and, and wicked because the motive for which we did them. They are selfish, they are self-serving, and do not have worship behind their doing. Selfish. You have not one iota of spirituality in you, therefore you have not one desire to please and worship and uplift God. It's all for selfish motive and ambition. And then we see that there's none that considers himself and then an emphatic restatement. He says it again, no, not one. And we pick people out in our society that are philanthropic and they do good deeds, we think, and we put them on a pedestal or a school pedestal. Whatever you want to put them on, we put them up there and we think, well, I tell you what, if anybody's, I've heard this many times, if anybody's in heaven, it's that woman right there. Usually grandma or mama when they, if anybody's in heaven, it's that woman right there. What do you mean by that? What they mean by that inadvertently is they're a good person. They were good people. I want to tell you, my mother, when she died, I could have said that. If there's anybody in heaven, it's my mom. But you know why? It wasn't because she's a good person. She was a mean little squirt, I'm telling you. (laughs) Until God came into her life and changed her. And she's in heaven. I know she is. If anybody's in heaven, it's her because she trusted in the name of Jesus to forgive her of all her many, many sins. If anybody's in heaven, let me tell you something. Mother Teresa is raised up as, a, as one of the world's most righteous and noble and, and, and giving person. But if Mother Teresa is not in heaven on the basis of faith in Christ and repentance of sin, she's in hell today. She's in hell today. You don't go to heaven on your goodness because there's none that are righteous. I'm not saying she wasn't saved. I'm not saying that. But if she... Trying to get to heaven the Catholic way, she's not in heaven. But I digress. Because they believe you can get to heaven by your good works, by keeping the sacraments and things like that. And you can't get to heaven. That's opposite of, are you hearing what Paul's saying here? That's total opposite of what he's saying. B, our mind is fallen and depraved. Now listen to me. You must understand he is systematically showing you that every part of you is ruined, is depraved. Our mind is fallen and depraved. Look at verse 11. There is none who understands. 
I mean, if we could, if we could go and find someone and, 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 and somebody who has died and, and we try to rationalize with them, don't you understand it's better to be alive than dead? There's none that understands. Your loved ones want to see you again. There's none that understands. Jesus is beautiful. There's none that understands. Hell is hot. There's none that understands. Heaven is beautiful. There is none that understands. He is talking about the gospel, spiritual things. And if the Bible is true and you are dead spiritually, you cannot understand them. Some believe there is a little bit of light, a provenient grace, just a little bit of goodness of spiritual sense that allows a person to understand and respond to the gospel by their own free will. But that is just not taught in the Bible. It's just not taught in the Bible. What's taught in the Bible is Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind, the mind without God, the mind without the Spirit of God, it is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Now listen, nor indeed can be. I don't have to exegete that to you, do I? Nor indeed can be. So then, now listen, listen. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, I'm going to tell you something. Theologians, a lot of theologians that don't agree with me on this point, they just think too much of man and too little of God, by the way. Here is what the Bible says again, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man, that's the man without God, the man not born yet in the Spirit of God, the, man, uh, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. If you're spiritually dead, how can you understand spiritual things? The only way to do it is the miracle working grace of the Holy Spirit of God. They have all turned aside, verse 12 says. Verse 11, there is none, now listen, there is none who seeks after God. Here is another lie that the church people tell you, that the experts tell you. Now I'm all for missions, hallelujah, amen. I believe that we must evangelize. I think the more people we tell about God, the better it is. That's what we need. We need to get the gospel. It's what changes people, the gospel message. And we ought to, I'm all for missions. I'm all for personal evangelism. I preach the gospel every Sunday from this pulpit. I'm telling you, you know I believe in evangelism and missions, but I want to tell you something, this lie that our, our quote experts tell us that there's a whole world seeking God, that's a lie. Let me tell you what the world's doing. Running as fast as they can away from God. Not only does your heart is dead in trespasses and sin, your heart hates righteousness. Your heart hates God and God's way. We've developed seeker-friendly services. We call, they call them that, seeker-friendly services. And by the way, if you want to use that kind of verbiage, just preach the gospel, Amen. I'm not going to get too legalistic about that. I'm just saying, don't say people are seeking God. They're not. They're running as far away from him as they can, as fast as they can. But if that's what you call it, but they tell us we need to be seeker-sensitive. Seeker-sensitive. This is man's wisdom, and it has nothing to do with God's way of outreach since the Bible says right here in our text, there is none who seeketh after God. 
If the natural man sought after God, this is myself saying this, if the natural man sought after God when he found him, he wouldn't even want him. He wouldn't even want him. I hear people all the time when you talk about the gospel and the God of the Bible. Well, I tell you what, my God wouldn't send people to hell. My God wouldn't do that. My God over the, my God. Yes, that's right. Your God wouldn't. But the God of the Bible would. See, you're an idolater. I don't know who that God is you've made up in your brain, but this is the God of the Bible and this is the truth. Man's wisdom matters not. John 3, 19, listen to this. John 3, 19 says, and this is the condemnation that the light, Jesus Christ, the most beautiful thing that ever has been, has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. He doesn't even come to light. The light of God's word is like the helicopter with the, with the light shining down, chasing the robber. Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? Anyway, and, and it's shining and, and, and it's chasing you from bush to bush, from house to house, and we're running from it. Until God's witness, God's church, the Holy Spirit of God himself comes and knocks you to the ground and you're squarely in the light and you look at it and it changes you and makes you new. It's the work of God, isn't it? Our heart, three, our heart is fallen and depraved. Our heart is fallen and depraved. Their throat is an open tomb. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of snakes, vipers, asps, it's hard for me to say that word, is under their lips and whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now, did you hear my point? The heart is fallen and depraved. You say, Brother Ron, so may right. Every one of those verses talk about your mouth, not your heart. Oh, no, it talked about your heart. It talked about your heart. Let me tell you, he explains it in Matthew 12, 34. Brood of snakes, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You know why you cuss and fuss with your parents? Because your heart's dead. You know why you cuss and fuss with each other? All the time, your heart's dead. You know why your mouth is full of bitterness and cursing? You know why you're, because it's not a problem with your mouth, your lips, your tongue. The problem is with your heart. Now the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Luke 6.45 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, I just quoted that. Matthew 15.18 says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are all the things which defile a man, those things that come from his fallen dead heart. Number four, our spirit is fallen and depraved. Our spirit is fallen and depraved. It says in verse 17, the way of peace they have not known and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that is the saddest and the scariest thing that is said of us. There's no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God. No spiritual understanding. No understanding of the glory and of the beauty of God. We are dead 
into the things of God, we have not fallen unto woundedness, we have fallen unto deadness. You, without Christ, are dead in your trespasses and sins. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkening, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. John 5, it says they're being alienated from the life of God. That means you're dead. Being alienated from the life of God. John 5.24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death. That's what you were unto life. That's what you are if you know Jesus. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's not talking about the physical resurrection here. Now in a few verses he gets to it. What's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual resurrection. He's talking about salvation. Now is, now has come. Now Jesus is here. Now Jesus dies. Now Jesus rises again. And because of that, the dead will hear his voice. The spiritually dead will hear his voice and the the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. We are all dead in sin. Colossians 2, 13, one more. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together him having forgiven us all our trespasses. We're not swooning. We're dead. We're dead. A greater miracle it would take to get a lost person saved than it took to get Lazarus to come out of his grave. (coughs) Say amen. I just, when I think about these things, I just see old Ezekiel. I don't know if he's a young preacher or old. I think he was a young preacher. Standing over this great, can you imagine him up on a mountainside looking over this great vast number of dead dry bones? Who knows how they got there? But a valley of dry bones. I mean, they're, they're dead dead, twice dead, dry dead. Bones were, were beginning to turn to dust themselves. And God looked at this young preacher. He said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And you got to give it to Ezekiel. He was smarter than most of the ones that God asked questions like that. He said, well, Lord, you would know the answer to that. Thou knowest. Good answer. He said, Ezekiel. (laughs) Preach to those dry bones. Preach to the dry bones and tell them to live. And Ezekiel again, in gracious wisdom, began to preach like I used to preach out in the woods to my dogs and anything else that listened to me trying to practice preaching. And he'd preached, and the Bible says all of a sudden the bones started, started clacking together and, and, and sinews began to form and then blood vessels and, and a heart appeared and lungs and all the rest and then skin enveloped. And God had raised them from the dead through the preaching of the word. You know what? That's the same miracle that happens today when I preach or you preach. It is God that has to do it. Ezekiel, do you really think Ezekiel did that? 
I'll tell you what, those bones made the choice. <laughs> They're dead, just like we are spiritually. Dead. Spurgeon said, Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. If he charges you falsely on some point, if someone charges you and you didn't do it on some point, yet be satisfied, for if he knew you better, he might charge the accusation. In other words, he might charge you for something else and you would be no gainer by the correction. In other words, like my mama used to say, when I, said, I didn't deserve that whip and she said, I'm sure you did something you didn't get a whipping for you deserved. <laughs> if you have your moral, listen, I love Spurgeon. If you have your moral portrait painted and it is ugly, be satisfied for it only needs a few bleaker touches and it would be still nearer the truth. D-E-A-D. My last point is this, a hopeful revelation. And boy, don't we need one at this point. What shall we do? Brother Ron, what shall we do? You know, if, if Paul, if you heard, and then me too, but Paul's the one who wrote this. If Paul heard you say that, you know what he'd do inside. Now, maybe not on that. He would jump up and down and clap his hand and say, that's exactly what I wanted. What shall we do? Unfortunately, not enough people say that, do they? Why didn't God destroy man in the garden? I mean, think about this. Why has God put up with man for all these 6,000 years? Why did God forbear through the ages? Why did God give his law? If God knew man could not keep his law, that man did not want his law, that man would rebel against his law, that man would not seek his law, that man could not understand his law, why in the world did he give it? Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Why? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. You know why the law was given? So you'd quit saying, well, I'm better than him. So you'd quit saying, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I do good. I was Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. That's why I gave his law, so you quit saying that kind of mess. Read the law and you'll say, "Uh uh-oh, that's what he wants. I mean, seriously, literally, look at this, that every mouth may be stopped so that you would look at his law and go, oh, my goodness. Look at this, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Nobody gets saved by good works in the sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's it. That's it, to show you that you cannot save yourself. God's purpose in his patience. Why did he send his son? In his patience and his forbearance and his long-suffering with man, he wanted to come and call out a people to himself and for his own. Now, lastly, we've learned all have sinned. We have learned that all are totally depraved and corrupt and unable to come to God on their own. None can save themselves. And fourthly, we learned this too. Listen, salvation must totally be a work of God. It is. The Bible says, of him are you in Christ Jesus. 
we now, we, know, we now move into the most exciting part of the book of Romans and possibly of the whole Bible. I mean, I am just, you just don't understand where I am in excitement level to get to verses 21 and following and 19, 20. And I, I'm, I'm going to make Will get his little uh, drum out here and the whole time he's going to do a drum roll until I get to read to verse uh, 21. It just seems like that's what you need. I'm not really going to do that, but... Um, How, when, where, what, who? Those are the questions we're going to answer about our salvation. Now, let me quickly tell you this. How do you get saved, brother? You have showed that there is no way in the world that man can save themselves, and that's true. But today in this service, the Holy Spirit of God is here. And maybe he has come to you today and he has opened your eyes and he has given you light. And my friend, if that happens, you're coming. But it, let's say it does. What do you do to be saved? The Bible says you call on the name of the Lord. You believe in him. You believe in him. You trust in him. You turn from sin and turn to God. If today you're sick of your sin, admit it, confess it, and say, God, I want you, and I leave it behind. Now, listen, I know, I know. Some of you have been saved, and you still sin some, but, but you don't love it anymore. See, some of you love your sin. You excuse your sin. You want to keep living in your sin, but today God has made it to where you're sick of it. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Jesus.